0: there. Can anybody hear me? Yeah. Hey, it's Beth. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm super excited to get to know you a little bit and get to learn more about how you approach your work and all kinds of fun things. So where are you at these days? I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Has that always been home for you? It hasn't.
1: I grew up in a military family and kind of lived all over, spent a good chunk of my life in the Washington DC area, spent about just shy of 20 years in St. Louis, Missouri, and moved here a couple of years ago. Cause this is where my parents retired oh. and I came um, here uh, when I moved here at the end of 19, cause my dad had Alzheimer's and it was just time to be mm. close. Yeah. Although we lived all over the place, my parents are originally from North Carolina, so lots of relatives in this state, plus two of my kids are on the East Coast, one in Florida and one in Virginia. So it was just time. It made sense to
0: be here. Feels a bit of a homecoming then, you know, uh, to find your place back. You know, I I think uh, a lot of us kind of go all over the place and then we tend to either go back to the place where our family sort of became one sort of originated, uh, Mm -hmm. but we have to do a of long distance traveling and and getting out there and seeing some of the world, I suppose. Now you have been, you're a poet and an editor, correct? Do you, do you do? Yeah. When did this start for you when you were younger or later on in life? How did poetry come into your life?
1: Yeah. So, um, I started writing poetry at a really young age. I was very lucky that I grew up in a household. Um, my Neither one of my parents are particularly creative, and, and they would tell you that. You know, mm-hmm. my dad's an engineer. And my mom didn't have a degree in accounting but could have been an accountant, you know, so they're mm-hmm. very um, sort of, uh, you know, follow rules, you know, uh, but they... Mm-hmm. My mom, especially, um, both of them had an appreciation for the arts. So I grew up in a house with a lot of music, um books. Uh, from an early age, I can remember, you know, our parents taking us to the movie. So it was mm-hmm. important to them to instill that in us. and the one of the earliest books my I can remember was it was Mother. Um, goose nursery rhymes Uh and uh, and then learning to read very young and and finding um, like a child's garden of verses like some other poetry books geared towards children and so by the time I was about seven I was trying to write poetry myself just based on what I had read
0: yeah what kind of music were you listening to at the time
1: So um, with my parents being from North Carolina, there was a lot of country music being played in our house, but also uh, they liked pop music. You know, uh, I grew up, so I'll be 59 this year. So I grew up in child and uh, adolescence in the sixties and seventies. And they liked a lot of pop music. I can remember having, like Stevie wonder albums and Jackson five albums. And, Oh, uh, there was a Herb Albert and the Tijuana brass is a, <laughs> that with the whipped cream lady, you know, and uh, and all of that. So there was, I'm I know my parents leaned toward the country music, but they were very open to, to other types of music. And, um, you know, they love to dance. And uh, so there was a lot of joy around the music in our
0: home. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's one of my favorite uh, periods of popular music, just because my parents are from that time period. So there's a lot of Stevie Wonder, Elton John. And the, the the one thing that I'm curious about is the storytelling aspect of country music, which I love. I think there's a lot of uh, great influence there where they they can share some st- insights on a character. It's like character-based yes.
1: stuff. Yes.
0: Yes. Did you get any takeaways from that as a writer? Did, did that inspire you in any way?
1: Um, well, it's funny you should say that because not just in country music, but there during the early to mid-70s, there was a whole genre of pop music that I was really drawn to that was that storytelling aspect. So there was a song called Um, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, that was Mm. this elaborate mystery story. There was uh, Billy Don't Be a Hero. There was um, the young man jumping off a bridge. Um, There's the Harper Valley PTA. There were all these songs that had... this story to them. And I, I loved those. I, you Mm -hmm. know, I had a little record player and buy the little 45s and listen. I was, I, I was drawn. Um, and, and you don't hear that as much anymore. Yeah, You don't, that's, uh, there are some, um, and I, I don't claim to be, I can't keep up with all the musicians anymore, but, um, (laughs) Uh, you don't hear that as much where there's where there's true storytelling outs, outside of country music and some of the Americana music. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I've I've had the pleasure of getting acquainted more with folk music and Americana mm-hmm. lately. Uh, I had a videography business, and one of the greatest things that I ever got to do was provide videography services for the Oyster Ridge Music Festival in Kemmer, Wyoming, oh, and that reminded me of just that beautiful tradition of folk and Americana and, and bluegrass, you know, mm-hmm. it's primarily a bluegrass festival, but it really just opened my mind to the the wonderful songwriting structures of these Absolutely. these genres that like, yeah, I didn't immediately gravitate to. And now I can safely say I'm a big, you know, folk and, and grass fan now. So yeah. always looking yeah. for that but I, I can't imagine the excitement of going to a record store and getting your little 45 and just having that anticipation. Cause it seems like we don't have that anymore.
1: No, I miss that. I miss that. You know, I, what I miss in homes is, um, and, and I believe me, I, I also love the, all the wonderful ways that we can use technology. Yeah. You know, I'm, I come from well depending on which chart you look at I'm either the youngest baby boomer or the oldest gen xer <laughs> and i know that there's this sort of trend towards oh you know we should do it the way it was done when we were growing up and i'm like no we shouldn't that's i mean every generation has always said that so i i'm not like running away from technology i think there's mm-hmm. positive things about it like What we're doing right now, for example, is is one of those positive things about technology. But what I do miss is going into somebody's home and their record collection was there Mm -hmm. and their book collection was there and you immediately had this sort of topic of conversation and this connectivity just by browsing through somebody's record just seeing what they were listening to and 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 these moments of discovery too mm, like right. oh what is this album that i have never heard of and and you know um just hanging out with friends and pulling out albums and putting them on the stereo and spending right. an afternoon doing that and i i I miss that. You don't, Mm -hmm. and I'm as guilty. I mean, all all my music in my home is now digital. So if somebody came into my home and they wanted to know what music I was listening (laughs) to, I would have to hand them my
0: iPhone. I was like, here, (laughs) check out my playlist. It's Right, here you go.
1: Right. The
0: the album almost doesn't exist anymore, but I'm curious uh, of your thoughts on this. Because you're, you're right. I mean, we're losing kind of a communal experience of, of sharing, sharing what's important to us and, and actually fe- feeling it in a physical way. Do you think that poetry is better as a tactile thing where you get to, to get a, an actual book and, and read it here in front of you, like right next to your eyes, rather than just looking at a screen and reading the poem that way?
1: I don't think it's a better experience. I think it's a different experience. I also think it's a different experience to hear somebody read their poem out loud. You know, if mm-hmm. if you have that ability, right? Um, it, I going into a poetry reading and hearing the words said is different than looking at those words on a screen is different than. That, as you said, sort of tactile experience of holding a book. Um, I they're they're all valid. They're just different. Mm. um i I don't think that's the one thing that i I won't ever have digitally unless you know we get to a point where we're not given the option. I always will have, you know books to hold and touch mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, And I, and I love that experience. Um, But I also love the experience of walking into, you know, a restaurant or a bar and hearing somebody read their poetry, much like live music, you know, that's a different experience than listening to it at home. They're, they're just different qualities to the experience.
0: Uh What has been your experience performing? Is it something that comes naturally to you or something that you have to warm (laughs) up to? when you're presenting poetry in person.
1: Yeah. So, so no, that was something that took me a while. Um, (laughs) I was one of those kids who was very shy, you know, was not like when we had to like do a presentation in class, I was the last to sign up. And, and actually one of the reasons I wrote was so that I wouldn't have to stand up and talk to people. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, I hadn't written for years, and back in 2014, 2015, I started writing again and met the the person who's become sort of my kindred spirit, my my poetry soulmate, as it were. And and he um, uh, was a teacher for many years, so he's just naturally drawn to being able to stand up and talk in front of people. And we were writing and writing and he's like, we've got to find a way to start reading these poems out loud. And this is when I was still in the St. Louis area. And there's a town up there actually in Illinois called Grafton, which is um, kind of on the bluffs uh, uh, above the Mississippi river. And Hmm. we befriended a shop owner there who was starting to do events in this really cool wood shop. Hmm. And we asked him if we could do a poetry reading there, and we did that for a couple of years. But I tell you, it was nerve wracking for me. I would, I, I, I hate to admit it, but I would have to drink a lot of wine before I still. <laughs> and it's still, it's still, I think what I've come to accept is that I have stage fright. And sometimes I stand up in front of people and I'm fine. And other times I get up and it hits and there's nothing I can do about it. So I usually just tell the audience, I'm like, Oh, you guys are getting me on one of the stage fright moments. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm like, don't worry about me. My voice is going to shake. You're going to see me literally shaking like a leaf up here. I'm fine. It's okay. We'll get through this. And if if I just tell people, then they're like, "All right, we'll get through it." <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Do you ever feel like having that hesitation to perform? Maybe just a little bit affects your writing. Like you're anticipating that you'll have to perform this piece. No, no, nothing no. like that. Oh, okay.
1: No, I, when I'm writing a poem, I'm honestly the last thing I'm thinking about is performing it. I'm, my brain is doing something very different when I'm writing. So.
0: Can you tell me about the water cycle and how this collection came to be as it is now kind of what that process was like?
1: Absolutely. Um, it's really int- This book is really interesting to me because it's, I have two other chapbooks and, and in June of 2021 I had a full-length collection Um, and this little chapbook The Water Cycle has gotten kind of the most attention I would say of any of the books I've written Mm -hmm. Um, and what's interesting to me about that is that all my other books were a lot of poems that I had written that were very um, like Fair, like near and dear to my heart, like really um, important emotionally to me. And and I would write a lot of poems and then figure out a way to, uh, how do I make a book out of this? I wasn't thinking of the book. I was just writing individual poems. Hmm. But the wa- I started writing The Water Cycle in late spring, early summer of 2020, which, at, if you recall, um, what was happening at that time. Yeah. Was I had I was in Asheville. I had not been here very long. I'd been here about six months, and suddenly everything shuts down. Um and I was trying to write, and all the things I normally do to sort of stimulate writing were were now unavailable to me. Traveling and being with friends and being mm-hmm. out in the world. And so um th- these poems reflect that. There's a lot of like inner reflection in these poems, but I also started noticing that all my poem, a lot of my poems have water in them. They mm. had like rivers or oceans or lakes. They would just show up in my poems. So this is the first collection that I deliberately set about here's a theme. Mm. I have some poems that already fit that theme. I'm going to write more poems to fit that theme. So it was this kind of really introspective work in the middle of lockdown, and also the first book I deliberately wrote towards a the theme. And um, and I think that's why it's kind of it's a very tight collection um, in terms of that theme and the the poems themselves. A, a lot of my other work is, um, I think, very inventive in terms of language, but I always say kind of messy. Um, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. But these were very tight. And so that's that's how the book came to be. I was like sitting in my apartment by myself <laughs> day after day, trying to figure out how to be creative. and um, And those poems came to be.
0: Oh, goodness. So there was a comment, one of the reviews that you had shared on Twitter, and I, I was checking that one out because I hadn't had the pleasure of reading the the collection just yet. But uh, the reviewer mentioned the there's this aspect of family in one of the poems. And it it's interesting that you started writing that during COVID, where it seems like we isolated and we immediately went inward. And right. we started looking at our own history, perhaps our own past and our relationships with the people that we love and care about. Can you tell me about how family plays an aspect in this collection, if it does at all?
1: It does. I mean, um, and I I, I think you just, you just nailed it with what you just said, that sort of introspection and suddenly thinking, okay, what is important to me? Who? who am I? Who am I if I am not out in the world doing all the things that I've kept myself busy with? Um, so in this book, there are poems about my children. Um, there are poems about friends. There are poems about my my father who passed away in September of 20. Um, mm. There are poems about old lovers. Um, and so it is, it's like a little history of, uh, and, and poems about friends, you know, so it's, it's a little history of, uh, my relationships and how those make me who I am, all my relationships. Um, and and writing about family is something that comes into play in in all my poetry because I I first started writing again in 2014 after the death of my granddaughter who was seven months old.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. To she. Hear
1: that. Oh, thank you. She she died of SIDS. She she went to sleep one night, perfectly healthy baby, and just didn't wake up. And so the writing that came from that started from that, which is who am I now, if I'm not her grandmother, Mm
0: -hmm. who
1: am I now as I reach out to my daughter and my other children to to try and find how are we going to survive this unimaginable loss. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and now I have, you know, now I have three three other grandchildren and and what does it mean what does that mean now? What does it yeah. mean to be a, a grandmother to those children? So, so so family is um it's kind of in in all the work I write, in one way or the other.
0: Yeah. And it's it strikes me that the the more you mention it, I I kind of realize that we do hold on to those roles, right? That we I don't know if, if it's necessarily us wanting to, to just take ownership of that role and and making it our own, but we maybe prescribe a lot of importance to those roles rather than just uh, existing in in this way. But I'm, as a parent, I'm fascinated by this because I always feel like my biggest lesson when I became a parent was that I could, I had, I felt like I had to separate my art from my family. And Mm. there was a lot of detriment there, but for you having this creative spirit, this creative spark ever since you were younger, do you remember how you managed those things when you were raising a family and and now that you're a grandmother, like how has, because I I don't want to say that like family got in the way or anything like that. Well,
1: no, no, I get it. Look, I didn't. That's the thing. I didn't. I stopped writing. Mm. I I got my MFA. I by the time I finished my MFA, I had my first child. Um I had three children, for a great part of their lives I was a single mom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and I would try to write, but for me, um it, being a parent, my my energy was focused outward, very yeah. outward towards my children. As yeah. a writer, my energy is very Taking things from the outside, but pulling that energy inward, putting it into the poet brain and and writing. And I was not able to mm. really be creative as a mother. Mm. Now, I know some wonderful poets out there who are, who do. Um, but I and I have huge amounts of respect for their ability to do both but i also have a lot of empathy and understanding for creative people who are parents who find it difficult because not everybody can do it and i don't think that means you're um you're failing as a creative person i just think being a parent is <laughs> is so consuming yeah that it's hard to find time for anything else. Uh, any art, whether you're a writer, a musician, a painter, I mean, that art is hungry, and mm-hmm. it needs time. Yeah. And it, as a parent, time is something that uh, you don't have a lot of. So... Um, there, but there are so there are some poets out there who are who are great at it and in fact write about it you know mm-hmm. and and I really admire them
0: So looking back on on that time where you took some gaps in writing, do you feel that writing comes more easily to you now like do you ever feel like you're catching up or or is it just effortless now or how does that work for you?
1: Yeah um, I started writing again after my granddaughter's death um and when i when i found this person who became a close friend who was also a writer and it was one of those moments where i you know whatever your spiritual beliefs it was like the universe put this human being in my path at the right time um and i hadn't written for years and within 2 weeks i started writing again and for a couple years it was just constant it was just um, writing and writing and writing, catching up, writing through the grief. At first, it was really about processing the grief. Mm. And then a few years later going, oh, I think maybe there's something here, you know, beyond just the subject matter of grief. Um, And I, and I say that because my mentor, when I had my MFA, he always said that the the power of a poem cannot be derived from its subject matter alone.
0: Mm.
1: And that's something that was so ingrained in me. And so how that related to my writing was just because I'm writing about a dead grandchild, as emotionally evocative as that is, it doesn't mean that it's a good poem,
0: Mm.
1: right? Just the emotion of that alone doesn't make a good poem. I had to write a bunch of stuff to get through to the other side and then start, you know, really honing my
0: craft. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. that's so for, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So a few, for a few years, it was like, it was probably just years of pent up not writing plus the emotion of of that loss. And I just wrote in a frenzy for about three years. Then, the, then a few years, I wrote pretty steadily. Um, hmm. I would say in the last, uh, well, it's funny because I always feel like, oh, I'm not writing that much. I, <laughs> I, I said that to myself like the other day or like back in March. I was like, I really haven't written much in the last year. And I went into my computer. I'm like, oh, you've got 45 poems here. <laughs> <Okay."> <laughs>
0: Quite prolific. It sounds like
1: right. right. I go through spurts. I go Mm -hmm. like right now. I haven't written really written in weeks. I go through spurts now, and Mm -hmm. I've learned to allow that. I've learned like it's okay. Like I, that's part of writing is the the periods where I'm not writing. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: where you're taking in the world, right? Letting the the batteries recharge in a way. Now, with your editing work. How does that? uh, I guess how did that begin for you in this in this era of your of your life where you're pretty active in the in the editing community?
1: Yeah. So my first chapbook, which is called "Morning Walk with Dead Possum, Breakfast in Parallel Universe." Mm.
0: Um, Great title! (laughs) (laughs) Great title! I love titles. Um, I I'm fascinated by them.
1: Um. I I was writing, and I'd been um, published in a few journals, and one of those journals, uh, they decided to do a print edition, and they were having a reading in Brooklyn. This was when I was living in St. Louis. They were reading in January of 2019 in Brooklyn, and I was invited to that. Mm. And my dear poet friend could not accompany me. And I was like terrified to go to a reading, you know, by myself. I, I mean, I, I knew by name some of the other poets. Uh, and I remember my friend JD saying to me, um, you have to go. You have to go. This is going to change everything for you. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I hopped on a plane and I flew to to New York and I went to this reading and I met um, Elizabeth Haran who had started this little press, Animal Heart Press. I think they had done one book. I mean, it was a brand new press. Hmm. And I read with her and, um, and I mean, it was like on a stage with like lights and everybody's wearing black because it's New York and I'm there in jeans and a flannel shirt because I'm coming <laughs> from the Midwest, you know? And I was like petrified, you know, to be up on that stage, but I did it. and. The next day, I flew back to St. Louis, and when I landed, I had a message from Elizabeth that she wanted to publish me.
0: Oh, lovely! So-
1: and that's how that book came about. And so I, they they published she and Amanda published that book. And since they're such a tiny press, they were like, "Hey, all your pre orders, can we send them to you and send them the po- send you the postage?" And, you know, you can like sign the books and send them off to people. I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. So like I got them one day and the next day I mailed them all <laughs> and they're like, what, how did you do that so fast? So I always <laughs> joke. They asked me to join the press because I was efficient. at mailing.
0: Oh, <laughs> so do you enjoy that process? The logistics of, of the behind the scenes of a, of a press?
1: I do. I, so that part, I, you know, I love when, when we have a new book, we've got one coming out this week. I love putting books in an envelope and mailing them into the world. Like, okay, no matter how bad my week or day or whatever's going on in my world, I just sent poetry to 50 people today.
0: Mm.
1: That's an amazing feeling. And then About a year later, they were like, we want to start a journal under the Animal Heart Press. um, And we decided on the name Feral, and they asked me to be the managing editor. Mm. And that has been an amazing, amazing experience because, I mean, for me... I wanted to publish one book. When I published Morning Walk, I, I met that goal. I mean, I was 57, hmm. six. It's 56. And I finally published a book and put it in my parents' hands. Oh. And and the and then anything after that, for me, is like, all right, cool. I, I'll keep writing. And if I have other books published, that's awesome. But I I don't, I know who I am in the poetry world. I don't have this idea of being more than who I am. Um, But editing and bringing other people's poems into the world. And and in almost every issue, we have somebody who it's their first poem Mm. or they're a very new poet. All the way to people who've gotten, you know, grants from NEA. So we we really publish a wide variety of voices, which mm-hmm. is super important to me. And in those connections I've made, being an editor, I almost like being an editor more than being a writer. Oh, that's it's, lovely. To me, yeah, it's just like okay, I'm I can now sit back as a as an older person and just be like. I have the I don't know what the word is maturity I guess mm. to to be able to just do this job this editing job yeah and take great joy from it and and then make connections with all these these other poets who enrich my life so it's
0: yeah. it's wonderful It almost feels like there's there's complete honesty right when you're an editor and you have to be um obviously delicate in the way you deliver it but having that ability to say this is how this this is the unbiased version of what you've written that allows for for a writer to take in that feedback and really see themselves in an objective kind of way that's really got to be a, an acquired skill i think that comes with time i imagine but you reminded me of two things i wanted to ask you first of all what did your parents say when you gave them that poetry collection that first publication of yours
1: yeah well my my dad you know because he had alzheimer's i mean i think he was just like yeah you know but, yeah. but my mom was um incredibly happy and and continues to be so i live about two miles from my mom in asheville
0: oh lovely so
1: i i kind of joke you know so it was been two old ladies getting through the pandemic together but she's she is not not a creative writer, but she, um, she loves that I am. And, Mm. and so, you know, she has all my books and she's just, I I think really proud. And on the other spectrum, you know, I mentioned that when my kids were young, I really didn't write. Mm. And I think they knew, like, they knew that that was something about me from my past you know, mm. as they got older, they knew I had gotten my MFA. They knew that at some point I had started writing. And so when I started writing again, one of the great joys of it is that my children are incredibly proud.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Right? That they're like, go mom, you know, <laughs> look you. Um, you." after what, what happened with our family, after we lost Daisy, like that, that's what came out of it for me. Mm -hmm. They're, they're really supportive and, you know, have all my books and, you know, show their friends and that, that's, (laughs) I wish I had been able to model that for them when they were younger, but now I'm like, all right, well, Now I'm doing it. Now they know that you can, your story's never over, right? Like I was 56 and published my first book. I mean, that is something that I've shown them, that you can always do, you know, what you wanted to do.
0: Oh, that's incredibly inspiring. I'm thinking of your time as an editor and being in that role. Was there a moment where you received some feedback that you thought this person is totally in the wrong? I don't know what they're looking <laughs> at and and then eventually come back around to say, oh, yeah, they were right.
1: <laughs> oh, OK. Well, I have one where they were totally wrong and I ignored them. And then the <laughs> poem published by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had this poem a few years ago that um, I sent to this place and and they came back and they're like, well, we're thinking about publishing it, but we really don't understand the end. And they they question certain things. And I um, I'm like, well, I'm sorry that you don't understand it, <laughs> but I'm not gonna change it and then it went on and got published and I think got nominated for a best of the net. (laughs) Uh, But then um, another time I did, I had a poem that was published in um, passages North and they came back and they made this wonderful editorial suggestion that, um, that made the poem made what was a decent poem into I, I thought are really grateful just by somebody else putting some eyes to it mm-hmm. i'm I am very open to constructive criticism, and in fact, sometimes I wish some of the the poets I knew I have a couple people who will who will give me, especially if I ask for it of I like no, just, I, need <laughs> you, I need you. Like, let's not do the thing we all do. oh, this is great, you know, like mm. it's great to be supportive of each other, but i I have some go to people
0: mm. who
1: will who will be honest.
0: That's always good to have a couple of folks in your corner, right who you love dearly, but can also be brutally honest about what yes. what it is that they have in front of them. So I got a couple more questions of your time just to be respectful, or I got a couple of questions. Two more to be respectful of your time. Sure. So in your journey as a poet, what have been some works that completely changed the way that you view the craft? Oh uh, yeah. Um,
1: uh, so the, the first poet, and it's not necessarily a book, but the first poet that I was introduced to that changed everything for me was Anne Sexton, Um, and I was, I I don't even know if I was 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like trying to write, I didn't, again, I grew up in a house where there were books, but my parents didn't know anything about poetry, I had no idea what to read.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was standing in a bookstore, in a mall in suburbia somewhere, looking at the teeny tiny poetry section and a man walked up to me and saw me you know looking at trying to figure out something what was there what should I read I had no idea um and he said to me have you ever read Anne Sexton Hmm. and he pulled out a book and he handed it to me so that and And at that age, I didn't understand half of what I was reading, you uh-huh. know because because twelve year olds then were very different <laughs> twelve year olds now.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: there were, we, there were a lot of things we didn't know. Uh, we did not have access to tons of information, so but I knew there was something amazing happening in her poetry, and so that struck me in the last four or five years, um, One book that uh, really changed the way I wrote about uh, about grief was by a poet named Bianca Stone, and it's the Mobius Strip Club of Grief, Mm. which um, is beautiful and um, uh, also uses some dark humor uh, to address grief. Um, Last year, two books that really, really made an impact on me were, uh, Frank's sonnets by Diane Seuss. I think anybody who read that Mm -hmm. had to be changed by it. Um, and then a Mississippi poet named Catherine Pierce, her book danger days is something that, um, made a huge impact on me last year. And then a book that's published this year and a, a dear friend. Um, and I've, been privileged to watch some of these poems come to light. Uh, C.T. Salazar, another Mississippi poet, Mm. just published his debut, um, Headless John the Baptist Hitchhiking, (laughs) um, from Acre Books. So that's, his work has been a huge influence on me. So those are just a few that come to mind over the, the last several years.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thank you for the recommendations as well. I'm in the process of actively learning where the good poetry is thanks to you wonderful guests who are sharing so much insight I'm very much feel like I'm I'm very much feeling like I'm learning a lot uh, as as I go along but lastly I want to ask you a two part question so what would you say to somebody who's starting out in their poetry journey what would you tell them to get their spirits going to maintain that light aflame and also what has poetry done for you and your quality of life? Mm-hmm.
1: Um I would tell um anybody who's a new new to to poetry or trying to trying to find their way, I would tell them to read a lot of poetry and um And to write, even if if what you're writing is garbage, you know, and I don't mean in some, like, I'm not one of these, oh, you have to get up every day and give yourself three hours or you're not a writer. (laughs) I don't mean that. Um, that, That's not realistic for some people. Um, I think reading a lot of poetry is really important for your craft. You need to understand who came before you, what's being written now, what the, what the landscape is, you know? Um, so, so that's what I, I would say, like, if you need a spark of inspiration, read other poets, um, that, that they, that certainly inspired me. Mm. Um, And and made me think about poetry in different ways. And there's so much out there. And you don't have to buy books. There's so many online journals. I know that not everybody has the financial means to buy a bunch of books or even, you know, access to a library. But online, you can find so many, so much free poetry. Um, There's so much out there. Just read, 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 read. That's what I would say. Um, How has poetry changed the quality of my life? Poetry saved my life. Um, And I mean that literally in the Mm. sense that after my granddaughter died, I I could not envision my future, which is the definition of despair.
0: Mm.
1: Like complete loss of any idea of what my life was going to be. I had no idea how I was going to climb out of that hole. None. Um, and I started writing, and and through that writing, I became connected to the poetry community. Many of the wonderful poets I'm connected to are young enough to be my children. I'm the old lady in the room, which I love. I don't mind that at all. Their energy their their perceptions, their, you know, the way they look at the world, everything I've learned from them. And also if you had asked me in April of 2013, if nine years from now I was going to have four books of poetry published and be an editor of a journal, I would have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> po- poetry could change the trajectory of my life. Um, it saved me and then it, and it helped me find who I was going to be after experiencing, you know, that kind of loss. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with those uh, wise words, I think that's a good note to wrap it up, but I want to thank you very much, Beth, for being so open today and for sharing all these amazing insights and, and bits and pieces of your amazing journey, but primarily for your time and for, you know, stopping by to listen. It's been a blast. I've had a wonderful time talking with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time and for doing this. Uh, It's, it's a huge, um, it's, it's always nice when people support the poetry community. So what we, I know we all appreciate that. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you very much, Beth. And uh, of course, I will be in touch shortly so that I can get you an episode. But right. uh, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday and I hope you, you take care. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Take, take care. Bye.